Greetings, this is Bob Ponderelli, co-host with Mike Sherrick of Into the Gap Radio, which airs Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock Central on 1590 AM and 95.9 FM Chicago. This is the podcast version of our show where you'll get highlights of our most recent episode. We also do an Into the Gap unfiltered podcast, and I'll have more details about that later in the episode. Okay, let's get started. Here's my co-host, Mike Sherrick. This is Into the Gap with Mike Sherrick and my partner, Bob Ponarelli. Good afternoon, everybody. And we got our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Yantis of the U.S. Army. How you doing, Ryan? Hi, Mike. Hi, Bob. Yeah, thanks for being Ryan. with us. I'm delighted to be here. And today we're going we're gonna to be talking about 9-11. And uh, Ryan had the, uh, would you call it the pleasure or the experience of actually being in the Pentagon that day? Well, it certainly wasn't pleasure. Yeah. Uh, the Pentagon was one of the last places I ever wanted to serve in the Army. Yeah. Uh, I got dragged kicking and screaming into that three-year assignment and uh, mm. cheerfully escaped on September 11th and then for real later in 2003 finally left yeah. for good. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Yep. And uh, But thanks for being here, man. Really appreciate it. And thank you for your service. We really appreciate it. How long were you in the, in the service? 22 years, seven months, 14 days. <laughs> Are you down to minutes and hours say yet? that. <laughs> no. It's when you go uh, out process and retire. Yeah. They take you through. The personnel clerk is checking all the papers and all the orders and yeah. looks up and smiles. Well, sir, you had 22 years, seven months, 14 days. A little bit longer and you'd qualify. No, I'm done. Done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. So, my friend. Yes, sir. Documentations of existing conditions. Right. So th- this is the part of our show where to avoid the trap of calling <laughs> news news, Yeah. We, uh, we, we, we call it documentation of existing conditions because we know or we have this experience in life where <clears> – <throat> Like other terms that are in the culture that are very old terms, you know, we could say news and everybody's like, oh, yeah, the news, I know what that is. When in fact, you know, news currently is under what? Threat maybe? Oh, or uh, Who knows what it is. Right. You, also, news is often opinion. And, and what's great about the documentation of existing conditions yes. is actually looking at <clears throat> the condition objectively. At mm-hmm. least that's the intention. Right. I mean, are we biased and do we put some of our stuff in there? Usually after the fact because it time. always cracks me out. Right. Right. But yeah, it's it's really looking at the objective location of what's going on in the moment. Right. So that's really the idea behind it. So here's the top one. I, both both of my I'm only going to do a couple today because we're going to talk about some of our experiences yeah, during we the had week. A, we had a rollicking yeah. good time this week. So yeah. um, here, Swedish researcher pushes eating human flesh as <laughs> answer to future climate change fuel uh, food shortages. So in other words, this is from the same group that basically is putting food shortages into your future. Like, yeah. in other words, we're not, you know, there's a certain hopelessness, apparently, that they're basically, you know, like <laughs> the from the this particular academic community yeah. where, of course, we're going to have food shortages, just like they said we were going to, you know, by yeah. now. By have gas shortages. The, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Or or any other whatever. Yeah, fresh water So at a, sum- yeah, at a summit, yeah. at a summit for food of the future... <laughs> the climate ravaged future called the gastro summit. Yeah. Speaking of gas, uh, in Stockholm, September 3rd and 4th, a professor held a PowerPoint presentation asserting that we must awaken to the idea of eating human flesh in the future as a way of combating the effects of climate change. Notice this is my own, again, I've got my own biases, right? But whatever can be linked to climate change yeah. is like going to get press time. It's going to get air. So yeah. to go further, this uh, gentleman says he refers to the taboos against uh, uh, cannibalism as being conservative. <laughs> oh, 
he's quotes uh, where conservative do you find this stuff? and discusses people's resistance to it as a problem that could be overcome little by little, beginning with persuading people to just taste it. He can be so seen this kind of his... changes the whole meaning of eat me. Now, by right? the way, this is yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. So wow, <laughs> I know I went there. I'm sorry. Uh, so so yeah, you know. Uh, I don't know where to go with this. I, can, I don't he, think there's any place the, to go with this it. This gentleman says, <clears throat> people can be tricked into making the quote-unquote right decisions. Wow. He goes on to say, is cannibalism a solution to food sustainability in the future? Does Generation Z have the answers to our food challenges? Can consumers be tricked into making the right decisions? Well, clearly the vegans aren't aligned with this, right? Uh, probably the vegans would not be, but yeah. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what. If you created a vegetable product that tasted like human flesh, they would buy it. That would be it. It's like, I would eat human flesh as long as it was not really human flesh, but it just tasted like human flesh, then they would buy it. The vegans would buy it. All right. Yeah. So, uh, and I know people personally who would buy that, and I'm not going to mention their names on the air. Can Um, we put a pin in this one? Yeah. So, but let me just finish up because this gets a little juicy here. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what he Juice, doesn't mention is the, human flesh. what it. the professor does not, and again, he says, I feel somewhat hesitant, but not to appear overly conservative, I'd have to say he'd be open to tasting it, meaning he doesn't he wouldn't want to eat it himself, but he's promoting it as an he's, option oh, for everybody else, go. which is another typical, you yeah. know, right, attribute. Don't, don't do as I do, do as I say. Yeah. yeah. Good, good. And, but he's not mentioning that uh, there's diseases associated with cannibalism, and we won't go into it, but it's called the kuru, yeah. which is basically the laughing death caused by the ingestion of human meat, yeah. uh, human flesh. Yeah. That's a so, type of insanity. Yeah, and then the yeah. second one, I'm just throwing this out there before you and I go on a little rant about what happened to us during the week, is Bernie Sanders <laughs> announces support for global eugenics and depopulation. He's basically saying we can use abortion to combat climate change. There you go. So now there's, so pretty soon there's going to be a link up between a graphite pencil yeah. and climate change. Climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ryan, you've so, got a Bernie sticker in your car, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so so this week I was at a function and I raised a question uh, in a conversation at a social function. And I said, you know, I said, I'm not really I'm not really sold on the whole vaccine thing. 100 percent, you know, especially because now in California, they're basically saying you have to. Yeah. You know, you have these you, this mandate mandatory. Right. I said, you know, and there's something about the mercury in there that bothers me because there's mercury in vaccines and they use mercury as a key component, whatever. I'm not into the science necessarily, but I'm just saying Mm -hmm. as a cursory guy in the street thing, I had a little bit of a problem with it. Well, I was attacked by uh, a guy uh, at this party, not physically, but Mm -hmm. I mean, he verbally was like really coming after me. Yeah. Uh, Like, and then he, you know, started connecting it to other things like racism and. Yeah. Other, like, in other words, that because I had questions about this one thing over here, yeah. it's very possible or likely I had questions about these other things right. that I shouldn't necessarily have questions about, right? right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So that's my little thing. No, listen, I had a similar experience. I, I think anytime we don't sign off on the politically correct perspective. Or reigning wisdom, if you will. Yeah, or whatever. On, what, or whatever, whatever group think might be. Whatever Rachel Maddow deems is the, the right way of thinking. Right. I, I think whenever you do that, we're going to run the risk of being persecuted and also being t- called racist because that's a new thing they call you now. Right. Right? Because I was called a racist this week because 
I posted a thing. We talked. Remember, I yeah. told you we talked to the, we talked to the guys from uh, the Straight Pride Parade, and we talked to them mostly because I thought it was funny, right? And I got to know him. I met one of the guys and talked to him a couple times and had some interaction from him. And ultimately, what it came down to is we didn't put him on the show, you know, which is fine. I mean, mutually agreed upon. Yeah. And and so this 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 there was like several articles. One was written by um, CNN. Mm-hmm. And another one was written by somebody else. I can't remember. But they were basically saying that uh, the, the straight pride parade had links. That's the key word. Right. Links to uh, white supremacy, right. Nazism, and white racism. Right? right. Which you can see rally several times a week, right? And, you yeah. know, yeah. within 10 miles of anyone's house so, anywhere in the country. So what I did is I, I just posted on LinkedIn. I said, listen, not LinkedIn, on uh, Facebook. I said, listen, I know these guys. Mm-hmm. They're knuckleheads. I, yep. they, they fit in a category of knucklehead. They're like frat boys, right? Yeah. And there was no evidence to me, and I, and I like I kind of know them, mm-hmm. that there's any tie to what this thing was about. Right. And it just it just points to you were talking about the news earlier. It just points to the the there's this underlying. Uh, it seems like there's an underlying agenda with some of the mainstream media, right? Well. So well, yeah. So anyway, I get lashed out at if you support this, you're you know, and like it went on for days. Mm-hmm. For days, right? You know, phone calls. You know, uh, yeah. So it's just we're crazy. The whole world's crazy. Well, uh, the idea basically is is that I my the questions I have are 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 we to some degree programmed by our environment? To what do, I should say? To what degree might we be programmed by our immediate environment? Well, people is that, are, as as it points to. Yeah. The kind of conflictive situation that we're in right now. So we wanted to talk about the whole 9-11 thing. You were present in the Pentagon that day, correct? Yes, sure was. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would love to get a little bra- background. Or Bob, is there anything you want to put in before? We well, I thought what you brought up earlier about the 10th is yeah. actually a really good question. Yeah. Well, I, I got assigned into the Pentagon in the summer of 2000. Okay, so, so there are like I, a year and a half then. I like to tell people that the uh, ruts in the road from... You know, I-95 coming down from New York City, right about Delaware. That's yeah. my fingernails. The Pentagon was not an assignment of choice. Yeah. Um, it was one of those, uh, as a cavalry officer, I mm-hmm. became an Army spokesman, and I enjoyed operating away from the flagpole, away from generals. Yeah. You know, yeah. We need somebody to go to Africa. My hand would shoot up. Yeah, I'll go. Okay. Or Bosnia, or Albania, or any crappy country ending in A. I'd volunteer. There you go. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up with the Pentagon assignment. What was your role there? I was an Army spokesman. So I answered media questions okay. and I led a team oh. of spokesmen and women. Mm. Uh, and it was four or five of us. Is that where you began your PR? No. I, no, I started were... that back in 93. Oh, okay. Okay. And yeah. that's where uh, I made the transition from cavalryman to Army spokesman. Okay. And uh, found out I was pretty good at the spokesman yeah, job. Yeah. But I was also the guy who would volunteer, hey, we need somebody to go to Africa, yes, sure. yeah. or Albania, or wherever, uh, because I enjoyed doing things. I joined the Army for fun travel ad- adventure, and, not cubicles and paperwork. Yeah, and I can only imagine. Yeah. Being in the largest office building in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. 72 feet tall, 907 foot per side on the outside. Wow. Five floors, five rings, 10 yeah. radiating corridors, 17 and a half miles of corridor. Jesus. That's like, um, I mean, it's like a marathon running around the dam. Well, it, the design is, is really neat because you can get from point A to point B. It's a quarter mile across, three to five minute walk. Mm-hmm. 
if you know where you're going and if you know the address. Yeah. And if you don't know the address, there are 20,000 doors that look remarkably alike. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. And nobody knows where <laughs> anything is except by the address because yeah. you'll have Army right next to Navy. Then one of the other government agency yeah. coordinating cells is yeah. there, and nobody admits that they're there because, you know, they're another government agency. Right, right. But, uh, you know, as a an assignment, I got moved in there. I picked up the human resources team okay. for media relations. So we answered questions about the Army policy regarding people. Mm. Mm. Weight mm. control, don't ask, don't tell, women in the military, oh all these yeah. nice yeah. Easy to answer topics. Yeah, right. Uh, plus, we handled all of uh, a lot of the real serious investigations because mm-hmm. they involved people. Yeah, and uh, right. we also handled the the casualty release information. Oh my goodness. So when a soldier would die, yeah. whether it was training, combat, or uh, accident, um, make sure the next of kin had been notified. Mm-hmm. That was another group did that process, but then we would get the information out through the right channels eventually to the news media. Mm. Wow. Okay. So, so you're. It was really like a media position, really. It was. I was oh, a spokesman. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the the fourteen months on station before nine eleven, uh, we handled um, high level investigations. There was a fellow named Rongi, uh, and he did a rape murder in Kosovo um, back in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, his investigation came out, and there was a lot of interest because of. Not so much he had already gone to prison, but what had the command climate done and what were the mm-hmm. actions by the leaders that contributed to that scenario? Mm-hmm. And how'd they let this guy slip through the cracks? Yeah. Um, we also had something as trivial as the Army Beret decision when General Shinseki, who I personally believe got scared by a mad hatter as a child, decided <laughs> to rehat the entire <laughs> Army. Uh, Jack with, in the box. Yeah. Bing. Here you go. We're, we're going to put on this angry black wool sheep on your head that doesn't do anything to keep sun out of your eyes or rain off your face. But it looks fantastic. You, you, you get, <laughs> gotta go take a look. Like one in ten does a good job of wearing the beret the right way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, So, it's the September 10th. Yep. And what was it like, if you don't mind my throwing yeah, this in, no. the day before versus the, tw- the 12th? You know what I mean? Like that kind okay. of, you know. What and, and fair enough question. Um I actually pulled up some emails from September 10th. Not, you know, if I'd known, I would have, have tweaked it uh, for today. Mm. But the thing that I recall was uh, you had the transition from the Clinton-Gore administration to the Bush-Cheney administration. Mm. and Was that still going on? I mean, because it was like nine months later, right? Right. But, you know, it's ripples in the pond because okay. there was the election was in November mm-hmm. of, of 2000. And then you had the highly contentious, right. you know, let's count the chads, dangling right. particles, right. Yeah. and that was all going on. Um, political appointees within the Clinton and more, Clinton-Gore administration had started the transition from political appointee positions. Many of them were winnowing their way into civil service positions. Okay. Which, so trying to cling and claw and hold on to what right. they had. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a job in the Beltway is a job in the Beltway. Yeah. Right. Um, and then Bush... And his administration came in. They were late. They were slow. They didn't have all of their appointees lined up. There was mm-hmm. a certain amount of congressional pushback on many of their appointees. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. And you, know, you fast through forward through that arc of nine months, uh, eight and a half actually, because mm-hmm. it's mid-January when the uh, transition occurs. Yeah. And, and there was still a lot of um, 
tension between this is the way we did it, this is the way we're okay. going to do it. Yeah. And Bush had the announced um, position of, hey, we want to be uh, ease up on the globalism a little bit. Let's be a partner nation. Let's take care of our friends. Let's do things the right way. And it was running afoul of a lot of the uh, Clinton initiatives for the, the grander globalization. Mm. So Clinton but, was a globalist. Insert shock face here. That's yeah, what I'm right. saying. <laughs> well, and in the pragmatic sense, uh, there was still some tomfoolery going on as uh, Clintonistas would leave. Uh, you know, there was a, yeah, all the W's are missing off the keyboards or oh the doors God. were super glued shut. Uh, and oh, some of the, you, That's not a joke. Did I physically see it myself? No, but I had it reported by others. And wow. th- there were, wow. within the Beltway, you have to understand that there are people who have spent their entire civil service military career within the confines of 395 in Washington, D.C. Right. Uh, one colonel I worked with, uh, who was my class leader when I went through the Defense Information School in 93, mm-hmm. uh, at one point tried to tell me about all of his experience, but he had had three consecutive jobs in the Pentagon and moved from one headquarters to the other. And they all counted as new changes of station, new assignments. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I had gone to Europe. I had done time in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had gone up and done stuff in New York City for two years. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of different experiences. Yep, I didn't know the Pentagon as well as he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, hey, he, he was established. And as far as I know, he still lives and works in the National Capital Region. Wow. Because, uh, you know, there there's a specific gravity. Uh, you know, once you're there, you buy a house, you settle in, you get used to things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why move? It's like working for IBM. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I never well, got never got that opportunity. Yeah. So, you, so you had this bureaucratic thing that was happening at the yep. time prior. Yep. And then, then could you? Well, one of the things that uh, struck me is how much uh, pole vaulting over mouse turds there was on September 10th. <laughs> there was th- this, this inside the beltway. Oh, my God, this was said. We have to react. We have to do this. We have to. And yeah, the, right. You know, 12 wow. hours later, you were, we were really worried about that and how insignificant right. those things were. Right. Um, if you had held a gun to my head and said, what's the biggest challenge to the United States on September 10th, it would not have been Al-Qaeda and this fellow named Osama bin Laden. Right. Uh, for me, it was more, okay, domestic strife where diehards from one party are you know, visibly, vocally, and in any way obstructing and getting in the way of any kind of progress or success for folks from another party, and the people in the middle... The unwashed masses are the ones that are getting affected. So, Ryan, this sounds... you're freaking me out because <laughs> this sounds like exactly what's going on today. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to reality. We're back to where we started. Wow. Well, I mean, and one could assume, I guess, I mean, I don't want to change gears or anything, but it's likely gotten worse now, obviously. Yeah, yeah and I think, right? the, I think the Internet uh, has made it a lot more accessible to for people to parse out information that they want to hear and take and ignore the other side. Right. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who hear what they want to hear and ignore any inconvenient facts that get in the way with their reality. Right. Or as Mike says, don't let the... The truth interfere with the narrative. Right. Yeah. Or don't let the the facts interfere with the narrative. Right. Yeah. So then, uh, so now it's Tuesday, uh, September 11th. Right. 18 years ago. 18 years ago. And, uh... 
unremarkable morning, except I remember as I was going to the building, uh, and I lived in northern Virginia, about 25 miles away, it was always a, a slug. And mm-hmm. literally, you'd be a temporary carpool member for somebody who wanted to drive into the, the district. Yeah. And uh, I had gotten my slug ride where I hopped into a stranger's car, drive up to the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Beautiful morning, clear, yeah. crisp. It's mm-hmm. one of those, okay, we're out of the dog days of August. It's right. not, no longer hot and humid. I yeah. want to go play golf. I want to play hooky. Mm-hmm. I got to go to work. Yeah. It's Tuesday. And uh, morning meeting had run long because um, we had three teams that handled different parts of the Army staff and secretariat on media relations issues. Yeah. And my team was the personnel and human resources, right. anything involving our American soldiers and policies that drive their, their agenda. Yeah. Um, and the boss had talked long and came out of that meeting right as the initial reports out of New York talked about the plane hitting the World Trade Center. Wow. And I had left an assignment uh, 14 months before, having lived and worked in New York City. And uh, the initial reports, hey, don't know what happened. A plane hit one of the World Trade Centers. Right. Developing story. No, Nothing on the size of the plane. Nope. nope. Just something is happening. Right. And, and uh, we started talking amongst ourselves and making phone calls to make sure that other people were up and aware of what's going on. Yeah. Because the Army starts its day with physical training. You know, from six to seven, then you shave, shower, and get ready. Yeah. And it's eight, eight thirty before you're at your desks. Yeah. So it's that window when things can happen and people aren't up on it. So we're going to have to take a break, and then when we come back, I want to know about your experience of when the plane hit. Bob Pontarelli here, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll have more Into the Gap episode highlights after a short break. Into the Gap is on a quest for bringing self-knowledge right up against the glass of the great display window of life. We're also on a quest for advertisers to support this podcast, our weekly radio show, and our unfiltered podcast. If you'd like to get more information and inquire about rates, please contact me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Greetings, this is Bob Pontarelli of Into the Gap, and we're really psyched to have the High PSI Company sponsoring our show. High PSI was founded in 1976 and provides the industrial cleaning industry's finest pressure washers and cleaners. They also represent brands like Hotsey, Alcoda, and Aladdin, as well as single operator fleet wash systems. You can access their services and a very competent, dedicated staff through their website at highpsi.com, or just give them a call at 800-666-3900. This is Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our radio show, which airs every Saturday at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where we power wash the dingleberries of negativity hiding out in all those deep blue ripples that too often slow us down and keep us down. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Our latest episodes are also available on SoundCloud at Into the Gap Media and our website, intothegapmedia.com. Okay, back to the show now. Here's Mike. So now we're Tuesday morning. It's 8.30 in the morning, and you heard that the plane had hit in New York. All right, 8.46. 8.46. Not okay. that I'm counting or anything. Yeah, not that, yeah, just like the time. Well, get, yeah. Came out of the morning meeting. Uh, each of the media officers had a little TV on their desk, yeah. kind of a periscope to the world, and... Uh, it, it was a neat uh, setup. You had four different channels mm-hmm. that could come in at the same time, split screen. Yeah. And they were all showing the same thing. You punch one up and listen. And it's initial reports. A plane hit the World Trade Center. Yeah. 
uh, commuter, we don't know, don't know the size, developing story. And uh, made sure the boss knew about it um, and uh, prepared for the rest of the day, uh, but started making phone calls. I had just left an assignment in New York. I yeah. wanted to make sure people I knew and cared about were okay. Yeah. Uh, thought about a plane hitting a building several hundred feet up in the glass and debris raining down on pedestrians. Yeah. And anything after nine o'clock in New York City, you get a lot of pedestrians. Yeah, that could a lot have been, of people. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we, as an office, we weren't getting a lot of phone calls about New York, but mm. we were just getting the normal churn of media attention and queries. Mm. Um, and meanwhile, 903, watching the big screen in our office, mm-hmm. uh, saw the second plane hit. And that's the, the dash of reality. Of, yeah, that was a wake-up moment. Okay, this is either the laws of physics have changed, <laughs> yeah, which unlikely, yeah, uh, or this is deliberate and somebody's doing it, yeah, on purpose. And then the the chatter of, hey, was that what kind of airline? You know, was that an airliner? Was that a, mm-hmm. you know, Military, FedEx? What what what, yeah. what was it? What's going well, on? It was remarkable. I mean, it was actually filmed on TV on the news outlets, right? You know, because well, you actually see both of them because. The, the, Fr- the first one was too? Right. Uh, a French documentary company was in on the ground in New York, right. and they had responded with firefighters because they were doing a mm-hmm. documentary on firefighting in New York, and they were on the, the street level on a, a gas leak call. Okay. And they had the camera up, and they were looking at the World Trade Center, first plane hits, uh, and, and that was part of the iconic imagery of the morning. And wow. then 9.03, yeah. you have the second plane hit. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, uh, we had a young lady in our office. It was day two of her 16 week college internship. Oh my God. And her, her day one was talking about what she wanted to do and exciting things and, you know, be someplace and, and do neat stuff. Yeah. Sitting there with tears going down her face in the shock of the second plane hitting. Yeah. And I remember going, Hey, toughen up. You wanted excitement. Just wait. Yeah. Buckle up. Yeah. And, uh. Didn't know she had made it out alive for a couple of days after, so I felt rather oh, wow. bad about that. Yeah. She made it out fine. Uh, yeah. She is a successful businesswoman and mom in in northern uh, Ohio. Wow. Still in touch with her. She's a great kid. Now she's a grown woman. Yeah. But so back then she was yeah. day two of a 16-week So she's got to be, what, like late 30s now, early 40s? I never guess like at women's age. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what, dude? You are a way wise smarter. man. You're a way smarter guy than me. So yeah. I've got my mom. i got my wife. i got three <laughs> daughters. I've learned. Yeah, yeah, good. So when did, so it's nine, so how, what was the time frame between the? So 903 um, turned to the boss and said, hey, sir, another plane hit another tower. And uh, one of the things in public relations, if something bad happens mm-hmm. that's going to capture the media attention, yeah. push out all information you can that you don't really want to make the front pages. Uh, it's called a data dump. Okay. Every large organization has that as a contingency, yeah. at least ones that I know of. Right. And, uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, let's get everything pushed out. And mm-hmm. I was like, hey, no, sir, we're under attack. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, my did, you thought, guys, did you guys know then that there was something coming in Washington? No, okay. not specifically. Okay. Um, at 903, I looked at others on my team. Uh, one of them was a young lady named Elaine. Yeah. Media officer, great army civilian. She's nine months pregnant. Oh, my God. And told her, Elaine, get your stuff and go home. I want you out of here. Yeah. And she argued. She said, no, we're going to get slammed. It's going to be busy. You'll need me. Because she was a really tough, high-performing individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I said, no, I don't want to have to worry about you because we're next. Mm-hmm. And something, Is that what you said? Yeah. Something yeah. in my reptilian mind just said that they're going after visible symbols of, and I called them signature targets at the time, but mm-hmm. visible mm-hmm. symbols of Western power and might. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, you know, the Pentagon's in almost every uh, creepy spy thriller movie is yeah. the seat of power. Oh, yeah. Right. It's a big office building. There's nothing really cool about it. Yeah. But uh, at uh, after a while, uh, one of the lieutenant colonels, Henry Huntley, was brand new to the Pentagon. He had been there about six weeks. Mm-hmm. And in the Pentagon, the structure, five floors, five rings, mm-hmm. 29 acres, over 6 million square feet of office space and workspace, mm-hmm. 17 miles of corridor wrapped around itself, essentially, 20,000 doors. You have to know the address of where you're going yeah. if you want to get there. And if you know it, three to five minute walk. Mm-hmm. Henry turns to me and he says, hey, there's a meeting to talk about if New York asks for help, what we're going to send. You worked in New York. Yes, sir. Come with me. So we go out. We walk down the E-ring, the outer ring of the Pentagon, mm-hmm. from corridor six where my office was. Mm-hmm. And we go to corridor five. Mm-hmm. And then between corridors four and five, the new wedge. This is wedge one. It's the first wedge of the Pentagon that was built. Mm-hmm. Groundbreaking on that was September 11th, 1941. Mm. Wow. wow. And since I'm talking to construction uh, yeah. architect guys, the the um, construction door where they, they flare over the hallway and they put the gunmetal gray door, mm-hmm. hard hat required beyond yeah. this point, right. hearing protection, don't enter. Well, that was still in the hallway because our wedge, wedge two, was about to be renovated. Okay. Okay. So we're standing there, and uh, I turn to Henry. I go, sir, where are we going? Oh, it's a conference room off of Corridor 4. Sir, what's the address? Who, who's hosting the meeting? No, I, I don't know. Sir, where are we going? Well, it's a conference room off of Corridor 4. Sir, five floors, five rings, lots of options. New wedge. Not all the signs are out. I don't know who's where. Is this? Mm-hmm. And I listed off a bunch of different agencies, and he mm-hmm. couldn't answer. Mm-hmm. We're wasting time, sir. It's 930. We're late. Let's go call and find out where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So we backtracked, made a phone call, mm-hmm. and we entered a uh, secure vault off of Corridor 7 mm-hmm. a couple of minutes later, just as the alarms went off and the lights started to flash. And the sergeant behind the security desk said, gentlemen, there's been an explosion. You need to evacuate. Okay, great. Sarge, where explosion was the- explosion in the Pentagon. Yeah. yeah. Where, where was the explosion? Helipad by Corridor 4. Right where you guys were. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, six weeks later, Henry reminds me that I'm not such an idiot and that if I, had, <laughs> and that if I hadn't been stubborn yeah. and borderline insubordinate, that he and I would have been wandering around right in, the middle of it. in corridor four on the second floor, which is pretty but, much where the plane hit. But did, did the building shake? Did you feel it? I didn't feel it where I was at because <sighs> I was down in a secure vault yeah. oh. off of corridor seven. Below grade. Well, yeah, you know, I was a major at the time, so yeah, I was below grade. <laughs> um, no, that that's intense. Well, if you think about the structure of the Pentagon, Bob, just like if you look at it, it's it's a stout, you know, thick structure. My guess is if there was a whole lot of people in that building that didn't, that didn't know what, going, what right. went on. Well, it was built in the 1940s with the wonders of 1938-39 technological advances. Yeah. So you both yeah. being in construction, you know, there's a state of the art at that right, time. And uh, since the war started in 41, they mm-hmm. said, we need to really pare back on the steel that's going into this oh. concrete. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do some neat things with uh, with uh, other synthetic uh, materials into the concrete and not use so much steel. Hmm. Oh, that's probably not a great idea. Well, 
And, and, and instead of elevators, they put in ramps to save on uh, steel again. Uh, and the idea was, okay, after we're done with this as a headquarters, it'll be a hospital or a records repository. So it was built with the idea in mind of moving a lot of people and things around. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, the five-sided design was based on a, a plot allocation nearby for the original Pentagon mm-hmm. that they couldn't get the property for. But FDR apparently liked the five-sided concept and mm-hmm. the ease of navigation. Mm-hmm. But the Pentagon, great big office building, and it's the quintessential I love my sibling t-shirt that uh, FDR wanted to push the Army, Navy, and uh, Marine Corps into the same building. So yeah. they had to work and play well together. Right. Yeah. Right, right. You left out the Air Force. Because the Air Force didn't exist. Oh, okay. We didn't get rid of those people until 1947. Okay. They, they were the Army Air Corps, then the Army okay. Air Forces. I see. You know, they were very busy chasing their wristwatches around. <laughs> oh, and... my God. Here we go. So so <laughs> this thing goes off, the lights go on, yep. then what? Um, made it back up to my office mm-hmm. uh, and wanted to make sure people from my team, because there's accountability mm-hmm. as a leader. You, yeah. Your yeah. team. Is it, there smoke and fire everywhere? There wasn't fire. There was smoke, smoke. coming down from the okay. ceiling. Yeah. There was... Uh, Debris, because the Pentagon, again, is uh, concrete construction. So the ceiling over your head oh is a God. layer of concrete, mm. and there's fractures in it. So and, there's concrete dust and everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the lights are, are the strobes for the yeah. emergency lights are flashing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember seeing people panicking or a lot of frenzied running. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, you know, I was walking real fast. We call it a range walk. It's mm-hmm. about a four and a half to five mile an hour <laughs> real quick strides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I got up and I made sure that Elaine was out of the office, that all my people had left, and then started checking offices back and forth mm-hmm. on the E-ring, the outer ring of the Pentagon, from Corridor 6 heading to Corridor 5. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was a boom from the direction of impact, mm-hmm. and a big roll of black smoke came around the corner. And uh, you have that moment where you go, I'm wearing the Army B uniform, which is polyester wool, wool slacks, oh my God. Uh, short sleeve, uh, light green a crappy uniform, again, polyester. Um, yeah. So when it burns and melts, it sticks to you. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, and, and the core frame shoes, which are not good for anything, uh, they look pretty. Um, mm. I don't really have what it takes to go down that hallway. There's smoke. Yeah. I have not found anybody. Security guard is now really yelling at me, hey, sir, you need to evacuate. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, me staying here is keeping him here. So I, I evacuated out of corridor six. That took me around the side of the building that was burning. And so I'm on the, the Army side or the west side of the mm-hmm. building. And my initial impression was that entire 907 feet of face was on fire in some way. Wow. Whether it was shrubbery was burning or there was just heavy uh, fuel. Um, yeah, there was a it, ton of jet fuel that escaped, right? Right. Yeah. You know, and when the aircraft hit, you know that, that mass flying at that speed um, has to go somewhere. You're listening to Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our weekly radio show, which airs Saturdays at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM, Evanston, Chicago. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where leadership, lifelong learning, and critical thinking are leveraged in the service of freedom and liberty. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. The latest episodes of that podcast, and this one too, are available on SoundCloud at Into the Gap Media and on our website, intothegapmedia.com. 
If you'd like to get in touch with questions, comments, or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, please email me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Let's go back to the show now. Here's my partner, Mike Sherrick. This is Into the Gap, and we're talking with Ryan Yanis. And we're talking about his experience of being in the Pentagon on 9-11-2001. So, so Ryan, yeah. So when this is going down, you know, the thing that I, I asked you, like, what, what are you, like, what are you thinking in the moment? I was mad. Mad? Yeah. Okay. Um, when, when you see people you care about and, and people being those that I work with and yeah. then the abstract, the American people, and um, somebody, you know, snuck one past and hit us on my watch. Got it. Now. Am I in charge of anything? The biggest decisions I got to make in the Pentagon on a day-to-day basis is it, am I having a sandwich for lunch or, or what's the special? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I handled press releases. Sure. And I, I helped people make the right decisions and say the right things. But uh, I was a minor cog. And at the same time, working in a cubicle, answering phone calls and questions about our soldiers and Army policy, about people, you know, mind-numbingly boring and you know, trivia. So here's something um, very alive in the moment because yeah. there is something to do. There are, and I'm a former Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. You know, people need help. Yeah. Get, get busy, start helping, start yeah. moving. Yeah. And at the same time, there's this anger. Of, and there was also, okay, what's next? Because yeah. terrorists typically, if they hit a target, they get people moving and get things confused and then hit it again and yeah. possibly again. Yeah. And, uh, so you have this balancing act of doing the right thing and taking care of people and making things better versus looking over your shoulder and wondering, okay, uh, you know, I hear a jet flying in low and fast. Is mm-hmm. this it? Did I make a bad choice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which that, that happened to me about 40 minutes later. Yeah. I'd been running in and out of the Pentagon, getting more medical supplies, helping carry people uh, to safety and, and first aid. And uh, it was about 50 feet from the corridor eight entrance, which is the northmost, the river entrance. And uh, jet engine above and behind me, and the security guards really going ape, yelling at us to get away. Yeah. And uh, turn around, and it's a jet fighter, 400 feet, 400 knots. Beautiful sight. Yeah. It's one of those, okay, good, we've got air cover. We're safe. Somebody's out there looking out for us. A buddy of mine was in, um, had an office in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah. On, right on the river on 9-11 he was on the seventh floor and he said the freakiest thing and the coolest thing was a jet fighter flew right by his window yep right like he's like he felt protected and he felt like you know we had it under control and he never expected in a million years to see face to face with a fighter pilot right yeah and if it was in the initial moments after uh, the attacks Mm -hmm. up until about noonish yeah all of those jets None of them had ammo for their guns, and none of them had missiles on the rails. Oh, my God. So they were having a conversation cockpit to cockpit saying, okay, if they tell us to knock down a plane, what's the best way to knock down a suspected hijacked commercial airliner? Wow. Collision. Well, and and, yeah, collision in the Sophie's choice of we think it's been hijacked. Yeah. Because it's acting funny and the transponder's off. Right. So do you pancake into their uh, cockpit? Do you shear off a wing? You wait till they're pointed away from a, a built-up area with a lot of people potentially under, wow. and that's a crappy Sophie's choice. And oh, by the way, we don't have any ammo for our guns. Where we could like do this and maybe, yeah, <laughs> survive. Oh my wow. God! Wow. So, no, that's it. it that that whole. Him. So that day is, you know, you know, the most memorable day, 
the day of my lifetime. It's like something you'd remember where you were. I mean, you remember days after and days before. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, being so close to it and doing what you did, you know, being a, a warrior, for lack of a better word, right? And um, I'm sure when you joined the, the Army, you had a certain viewpoint. Mm-hmm. How has that viewpoint shifted since 9-11 or changed or been supported? Well, I was born and raised in California. Okay. And uh, in 1979, I had an opportunity to uh, go elsewhere to college mm-hmm. on a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cheerfully packed up and left the People's Republic of California. Okay. Where's your... Uh, yeah, so I grew up in, in the era... Um, of uh, Reagan as our governor mm-hmm. when things were fairly well run and managed. I was a kid growing up. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. And then uh, we, we had the Carter years. Yeah. Um, and, and the personal story about Carter, I was a world-ranked swimmer in 1979, mm-hmm. two national high school records. So I was the fastest kid in America in high school. Wow. Went to college on a swimming scholarship. Cool. And then uh, President Carter said, you know, we don't like you, Soviet Union. We're not going to do the 1980 Moscow Olympics. Oh, were you set up for the Olympics? You're never set up for the but Olympics. But you were going to be that, invited that, to compete. Well, that I, I was in the the uh, the inner circle of yeah. yeah. There was still wow. training that needed to be done. There was still, but um, you know, the nattering about that started months and months before because they wanted to send a message to Moscow and, and sure. get them to comply and move out of Afghanistan. And uh, I ended up, um, you know, the Olympics didn't happen for me. And uh, I, special kind of stupid, in college, <laughs> I took a, uh, a map reading course to avoid doing a PE class, because freshmen mm-hmm. at Mizzou have to do PE back then. And all the PE classes they wanted me to take interfered with my my uh, set schedule for practices and mm-hmm. whatnot. And instead of doing badminton or bowling with the co-eds, no, I'm going to go do map reading in the woods with the Army. But... Uh, I liked the Army. They liked me. They offered me a scholarship. Mm-hmm. I was able to finish up at Mizzou and get a commission. Mm-hmm. So the political arc, I've always tended towards um, the conservative right side, if you mm-hmm. have to have a, a definition. Um, but I don't have a whole lot of hard social issues. Uh, I tend to be fiscal, conservative, limited government, yeah. uh, and individual um, liberty and freedom. The Working with the, the Clinton administration... Yeah. For eight years uh, while I was in Europe and uh, being the same height and basic complexion of the President Clinton when he was coming over to do NATO Shape Summit yeah. in the spring of uh, 94, I was the public affairs officer who had to hold the white piece of paper in front of his face and do sound checks for his microphone okay. in advance. Mm-hmm. But I was also on the get deployed a lot because the Clintons were very aggressive, you know, Bosnia, Africa, mm-hmm. um any small country ending in the letter A that needed American help, mm-hmm. we were there. Yeah. And uh, as a person who likes going and doing things, I like that. But it was engagement that was for engagement's sake instead of well thought out in many cases. Yeah. Did your politics change after 9-11? Not much? really. No. Um, I try to be pragmatic in what works and what is successful. Mm-hmm. Um I don't see government as being the solution for many of the problems since government is largely uh, a creator of many of the problems. Mm-hmm. So uh, that puts me at odds with many on the Democratic side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there are some of those people in the Republican camp as well. If we just had one more law, if we had one more policy, yeah. well, no, right. that's, that's your agenda, not what's right. good. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, 
What, what do you see? What do you see as the biggest lesson learned and the lesson still to be learned? We only got like ninety seconds left. Ninety so. seconds. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that stopped the nine eleven attacks that day was the FAA grounding all the flights and just taking that platform off. Mm-hmm. And uh, the government did not do a, a very good job of following up and looking for other cells that might have been you know, thwarted or stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, right immediately afterwards, the uh, how cohesive people were, uh, the surge of patriotism, mm-hmm. yeah. the surge of, hey, we're Americans, we're hurt. Globally, people saying, hey, this was a, a low blow and a foul shot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was there for a while, and, and it dissipated and was squandered. Yeah, And the partisan bickering... Um, is not helpful to anybody. It's only helpful to those parties to keep them yeah. in power and not to move the, the larger agenda forward. Ryan, listen, we, we're going to have to go. We're, we're running out of time. But, man, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your service. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being that guy. Thank, yeah. thank you, Mike. I just yeah. realized that we've gone almost an hour. It yeah. seems like 12 seconds. I know. That's how it goes every week, man. Yeah. We're used to it now. Please allow us to thank you for listening to this show, as we are only too aware that your support makes it possible. 